Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here today, and thank you to those of you who are watching online. Thank you for sharing the services as you do each week. As you know, we stream now on three different platforms, and so we have literally thousands of people who watch these services, and that's because of the partnership we have together. So thanks for doing that, and uh, we're excited to see what God is going to do through this Easter season, and we pray that the service today will be a blessing to you. Now, we're in a series, as Rob said earlier, called Proof, and we're looking particularly at the Gospel of John as we are studying seven uh, undisputable, irrefutable things that Jesus did. And John describes them as being miracles. And these miracles that Jesus did were not for the sake of sensationalism. I mean, he didn't do a miracle for that reason. He did a miracle to prove that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. So the miracles were to affirm who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah. And John, it was an eyewitness. Thousands of people were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did and these things that the Bible calls miracles. Now, I would also tell you that miracle is not a word that God ever uses to describe anything he's ever done because he can't surprise himself. God's never done something and went, wow, I didn't know I could do that. That's kind of cool. It's a miracle. Now, you and I use that word because we cannot comprehend it. And when it's beyond our scope or our ability or our reason, uh, we say, I can't explain it. It's just a miracle. So we use that word, and I, I think we also understand the context in which the Bible uses it. Uh, the writers were just saying these were things that could not be easily explained. These things Jesus did, only God could have done them. And this morning, we're going to talk about another one of the miracles that John cites. And this miracle happens right after the feeding of that 5,000. Probably that was the most famous of all the miracles. It's the only one that's included in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. And as I said last weekend, it's really the feeding of 5,000 families. That's how they counted them. They counted them as single units. And so when you have 5,000, you really had more like fifteen to 20,000 people. They were in a mountainous region above Bethsaida in the northern part of Galilee, beautiful mountainous region, and obviously they had situated themselves on the side of the mountain to provide a natural amphitheater where Jesus could preach to them, and the Bible says he ministers all day long. He does all kinds of incredible things pouring into the lives of those people who were naturally attracted to him. There's a sound of freedom there going over, folks. They were naturally attracted to him because of the healing that they needed, because of the hope that they desired, because of the help that he offered. And so they were drawn to Jesus for all of those reasons. And so the Bible says he administered from the early morning hours until late in the evening. So he was exhausted. In fact, he tells his disciples, look, I'm gonna send you guys across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. I'm gonna go up in the mountainside to spend some time alone. I'm gonna spend some time with my father. I'm gonna spend some time in prayer. Now, I wanna stop just long enough to say if Jesus being just as much God as though he were never man, yet just as much man as though he were never God, God incarnate, God in flesh, if he needed a break, if he needed a retreat, If he needed time alone, if he needed to get away to be refreshed, who are we to say we don't? 
I'm just suggesting that everybody from time to time, you need to hit the pause button on your life and make sure you're not just redlining every day that you live. I mean, Jesus, the son of God, took time off. <laughs> he went aside in the mountain by himself. He needed the solitude. I, I, I've, I've told you before, I hear people say from time to time, well, I just, that's just not who I am. I'm not wired that way. You know, I'd rather burn out as rust out. You ever heard that term? I'd rather burn out as rust out. Well, that sounds real macho, but have you ever thought about it? Either way you go, you're out. Out's out. You can burn out or rust out, but you're out either way. And I'm just suggesting that Jesus recognized he was limited in the human sense that he hungered and he got tired and sleepy. He got thirsty and he would drink. And so he knew he needed to rest. And by the way, let me give you a little more context. He had just gotten word, as we talked about last weekend, that his cousin had been killed by Herod. John the Baptist was gone. And he really didn't even have time to grieve or to process the death of his cousin. I mean, he's just got right back into ministry. Here comes these 5,000 families and he's called upon. He, he didn't even have time to grieve. He's, he's really playing hurt. And so now after being exhausted from that day, he says to his disciples, I'm gonna take advantage of this opportunity I have. I, I need a break. I'm not gonna do anybody any good if I don't rest a little bit. So he sends them across the lake as he goes up into the mountain uh, alone. So that's the context. Look in John 6 with me and we'll look at the narrative we're gonna explore. He says in verse 16, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake of, for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. But a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, now the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across. So they're right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee here, three, three or four miles out. They see Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they're frightened, what will you think? <laughs> now we have the benefit of hindsight. We've heard this story, many of you, if you've been in church, you've heard this story and you're tracking with me already. And so we read that sometimes and we're kind of dismissive of it. But understand, this was happening in real time for these guys. They didn't know how this was gonna go. They're in the middle of this lake. These were seasoned sailors, by the way. Simon Peter among them had forsaken his commercial fishing business to follow after Jesus. These guys knew the lake, but they hadn't seen a storm like this. I mean, it's one thing for a sailor who is very seasoned at sea uh, to navigate a storm, but it's another thing for that very same sailor to be afraid in the middle of the storm. You know, it's like if you're flying in, a, in an airplane and you hit turbulence, you're good as long as the pilot is good. When the pilot gets afraid, we got a problem. Well, that's kind of what was happening on the boat. When the most veteran sailors on the boat became fearful, it just, that, that fear just infected everybody. So I just wanted you to get the, the setting, that Jesus comes walking on the water. They think, according to Matthew 14, when Matthew records a story, they think they're seeing a ghost. <laughs> what in the world? We're seeing this form of a man that's moving across the water, and he's headed you know, past our boat, and so they're terrified. And in verse 20, Jesus said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then they were willing at that point, then, notice the word then, they were willing, not before then, but then once they knew it was him, then they were willing to take him into the boat and note now immediately. Man, when God begins to move in your life, it doesn't take him a long time. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Now let me break this apart and let's apply it to our life and I hope it will help you as we study this a little bit. You know, oftentimes in life, life is referred to as a voyage. A voyage. You have that imagery and music 
uh, in poetry, you have that imagery in literature. Life is often compared to a voyage. And on the voyage of life, storms are inevitable. Into every life, a little rain must fall. Rains on the just and the unjust. Uh, so we understand the idea that you're not going to go on this voyage called life without enduring some storms. You're going to have some storms. They're just going to, they're, they're going to come. And when these storms hit your life, <clears throat> sometimes they're hard to navigate. Sometimes they're hard to, uh, uh, to safely get through with your cargo, <laughs> with your passengers. Sometimes you go through a storm and you lose stuff. You lose people. Sometimes people will bail and go overboard on you in the middle of a storm. You ever lost somebody in a storm? They just bailed on you? I, I mean, sometimes you lose cargo. You can lose stuff in a storm. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you go through something that's so hard and difficult, and all of a sudden it's cost you some money, it's cost you some stuff. And so I'm just saying storms are costly and storms are, are scary. But you don't get through life on this thing called, you know, uh, this voyage of life without these storms. They're just going to, they're going to happen. It's going to be a reality. And so here these guys are, they're in the middle of this storm and, and it is incredible. They're, they're frightened and they're trying to connect dots and understand uh, how they're going to survive and how they're going to get through this. And the first thing that really jumped out at me when I thought about this message was the fact of the storm, just the storm. I mean, I thought that's a good place to start. Let, let's start at the storm. And understand the Sea of Galilee was situated in such a way that the storms were fierce. Uh, it's a freshwater lake, like I said a moment ago, eight miles across. It's probably on the lowest point. I don't think there's a freshwater lake at a geographical point lower than the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by mountains. And so the storms that would happen on the Sea of Galilee would happen suddenly. These storms would just come out of nowhere. I mean, even these seasoned sailors, when they set sail, what, what we understand was it was a clear night, probably a moonlit night, and so they're going across pretty clear seas, and so they're rowing along, and they're out three miles, and all of a sudden, suddenly, out of nowhere, this storm hits. So let me ask you, have you ever gone through a storm that hit you suddenly? Unexpected, unplanned. I mean, when you set sail and you started down this road and you, you, you're moving toward a goal and you're trying to get to the other side of the lake and all of a sudden, man, out of nowhere, something hit your life that was totally unexpected, completely unplanned. Storms can come suddenly. And not only can the storms be sudden, they can be severe. There are a lot of boats that sank in the Sea of Galilee. There are a lot of sailors who drowned in the Sea of Galilee. There was a lot of loss of life. Sometimes the storms you and I go through and what we navigate through are, are sudden and sometimes are very severe and they just come out of nowhere and they're intense. Well, that's what's going on when you read the narrative. That's why I said the very first thing I see when I saw this was the storm. And, and can I tell you something about the storm? Storms have origins. Storms come from somewhere. If you think about a storm as a metaphor that hits our lives from time to time, I can tell you three possible places a storm can come from in your life. Sometimes they're, can I use this word, satanic storms, meaning they're storms that come from the enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, be sober, think clear, be vigilant, stay on your toes, because your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking those he may devour. You and I have an enemy. He's relentless. 
He doesn't give up, he doesn't give in, he doesn't give out. Oftentimes he will attack you when you are the most vulnerable. He knows when your emotions are down and you drop your guard because he's watching you and he's trying to exploit your weaknesses. Sometimes we go into a storm just because we have an enemy. He, he doesn't want you to get to the other side. He wants to drown you in the middle of the lake. He knows if he gets you to the other side and you get where you're going, you're gonna accomplish what you've set out to accomplish. You're gonna meet the goal, you're gonna make a difference. He doesn't want any of that. And so what happens is once you've dedicated yourself to doing what God has designed you to do and you're moving in that direction, don't be surprised if all hell comes against you. Paul Harvey used to say, you know you're on the road to success if it's uphill all the way. <laughs> Paul said, a great and effectual door is open to me, but I have many enemies. And I've told you, the doors of opportunity in your life will swing on the hinges of opposition. But the good news is, if you're running into the devil, it just means you're not running with him. <laughs> so that's some good news, right? So I'm saying sometimes when you're in the middle of a storm, you have to ask yourself, what's the origin of the storm? And you say, I, I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm moving in a good direction for my life and I'm just hitting the headwinds and the storm clouds have gathered. Well, you know, this is satanic in its origin. He's trying to stop you from getting where God's moving you. So they're satanic. Here's the second source of a storm that can hit your life, self-imposed. Man, I hate those. Don't you hate it when something happens and you have no one to blame but yourself? Man, you just look at the man in the mirror. <laughs> That's awful. Remember Jonah, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament where God says, go to Nineveh. I want you in Nineveh. And what he did is he goes to Tarshish. You look at that geographically, it is the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He, God was saying, I want you to go this way. And he turned around and said, I, uh, I'm going that way. He felt like he knew more about how to guide his life than God who created and designed him. And so all of a sudden, remember, he's out in the middle of the sea and there's a storm. And he recognizes the fact I'm the cause of the storm. I brought this on myself. So I'm saying, guys, if you're in a storm, I'm just asking you to take a checklist and ask yourself, is this satanic in his origin or is this just something I brought on myself? Is this something, I just shot myself in the foot. I'm just gonna have to get through this. I'm, I will get through this. This will not defeat me. I'm not gonna let it kill me. I'm gonna make it to the others. I just gotta keep rowing. So there are storms that are satanic and there are storms that are self-imposed. Here's the third one, and this is often the hardest for people to navigate. They're sovereign storms. There are storms that God himself will bring into your life and mine. Not for any fault of our own. He's not upset with us. These kind of storms come into our life to evaluate and test us. Remember, I've told you God will not tempt you. Temptation comes from the enemy, but he will test you. A test is an evaluation to see if you're ready to go to life at the next level. You can't go to fourth grade if you don't get out of third. You gotta take life to the next level. God will test you to evaluate whether you're ready to handle more pressure, more responsibility, more money. Uh, uh, you, you know, he, he, he will not put more on you than you can handle. You've got load limits. You can get stressed out. So he will send a test into your life to see if you're ready to move to the next level. And if you're not, you just go back and take the test over. Well, this in my estimation was a sovereign test. And I think it was sovereign because I go back to the fact Jesus sent them there. 
And remember, he's sovereign, he's God. Don't you think being God, he knew, I'm, set, I'm sending these boys into the middle of a storm. But the thing about God is he's purposeful. Everything he does, he does with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. God is intentional. God is working. He's working right now in your life and mine. He's doing, so. Look, when God's doing something that I know he's doing, I, th then I'm comfortable with the fact that he's working. But listen, when I don't know what he's doing, I can be comfortable in the fact that he's still working. When I can see what he's doing, I know, what he's, I know he's working. When I can't see what he's doing, I still know he's working. And I'm just suggesting you, these disciples, they were in a test that God had sent them into in the form of a storm. Think about storms this way. Storms will sometimes push you away from things. You know, they're correctional storms. They, they keep you from certain things. There's certain storms you have in your life, God will send them because he didn't agree with the direction you were taking and he's trying to push you away from where you thought you needed to go. They're directional storms and there's correctional storms. Sometimes he will not push you away, but he'll push you towards something. So there's a lot of reasons why God sends storms into the life, but what was unique about this storm is this the first storm the guys had gone through together as a group where they didn't have Jesus in the boat, physically in the boat. First storm they went through, remember he's asleep in the bottom of the boat? <laughs> and they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Get up. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And the waves, you know, came calm. Uh, listen, a boat can't sink if Jesus is on it. <laughs> but they didn't know that. So the test that they were, they were receiving in that first instance was when Jesus is present, that boat's not going in. It's not sinking because you've got Jesus. But here is a test where he's not on the boat. Let me give you my opinion, and just you can consider it as such, but my opinion. My opinion is this test was given to the apostles to prepare them for the time that was coming soon when he would not physically be with them. He was about to go to the cross. He would then raise, be raised again on Easter, and then he would ascend to the Father, and then he would put the responsibility of leading the church through the power of the Holy Spirit on those men. And he needed them to be strong enough and to be prepared to lead when they couldn't see him physically. And so this was a test that was given to let them know you can be in a storm where you have the presence of God and you can be in the storm when you're just living by faith. You can't see him with your eyesight. You're relying now on your insight. So this was a test. These guys were going through a, a test and, and sadly they're, they're kind of failing the test because they're full of fear and they're full of stress and they're just, they're full of anxiety. And then you start seeing the second thing, you start seeing the strategy. You see God at work. And the beautiful thing about it is he was up in the mountainside, remember, on the retreat alone, and he's looking across and he sees the lake and he sees the storm, and all of a sudden he makes that three mile trek across the lake almost instantly. I mean, that's moving out. When you go from the top of a mountain across water in the middle of the storm and catch right up to a boat. You know what these guys were dealing with? They were dealing with darkness. Darkness. When they set sail, the moon was lighting the lake and the waters were clear. And now all of a sudden the canopy is covered and they can't see anything. They're dealing with darkness. Have you ever gone through a storm and you weren't sure which direction to take and you weren't sure what decision to make and all of a sudden you just feel like in a lot of ways the lights have gone out. I don't know what I need to do. 
I'm in the dark. There'll be storms that God will send in your life where he will put you in darkness, sovereignly put you in darkness by withdrawing that light so he can teach you something. You, you really don't know how strong your faith is till it's tested. You really won't know what you'll do or how you'll react until you're put in a certain circumstance. So they're in darkness. Not only are they in darkness, they're in, they're in danger. I mean, they're in danger of losing their life. They're in danger of losing the vessel. They're in danger of losing everything. So they're in darkness. They're in danger. And they're dealing with distance. They're still four miles from the shore. I mean, you turn and go back, you're still four miles from that shoreline. <laughs> you're in the middle of the lake. And yet Jesus has a strategy. He put them in that situation knowing, knowing that it was going to be a storm. And he did it to test them. But don't miss this, this is important. Even though he was in the mountain and he wasn't physically in their presence, he knew exactly where they were. Exactly where they were. You know what? He knew exactly how they were where they were. That's something only God knows. I can see you, you can see me, we can talk to each other about where we are in life. I can talk about my storm and you can talk about yours and we can see where we are. But you know what we don't always see? We don't always see how we are where we are because we're good at being hypocrites. <laughs> uh, I can fool you, you can fool me, all God's children fool each other. But one thing, you can't fool God. God is sovereign. Listen, he knows not only where you are, but he knows how you are where you are. That's a good thing. He understands and he gets it and he knew these men now are stressed, they're full of fear, they're about to despair, the timing is right, the lesson is about to be taught and he came right where they were and he moved in their direction. What's interesting about it, Matthew picks it up in Matthew 14 because this is the narrative Matthew says where Peter says, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you on the water. Remember that? Well, John doesn't include that part in the story. I'll ask him one day why he didn't, but I don't know why he didn't. But I do know when Matthew records it, he says when Jesus appears, he acted as though he was going to walk by. <laughs> he acted like he was going. So he, he didn't come to them, he came near them. Why? In fact, they didn't really recognize him initially. Remember, they thought he was a ghost. They didn't recognize him until they heard him. Remember the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. When they heard his voice, they knew it was him. But he, listen, he didn't get in the boat until they invited him. Did you know Jesus may come near you, but not to you unless you invite him? He'll come near you. You know he's there. Oh, I've seen God. I know God's around me. But have you ever invited him? Have you ever invited him on the boat? I remember we learned at the pool of Bethesda, remember the man who was lame and he waited for the waters to be stirred so he could get in the water, but he waited 38 years. 38 years, you remember what Jesus asked him? Do you want me to heal you? Do you want a better life? And we explored a little bit about why Jesus would ask a man there 38 years if he wanted to be healed. But Jesus looked, this guy's kind of become comfortable being miserable. He's made a bed in this mess. And of course the guy said, remember, I don't have anybody to help me put me in the water when the waters are stirred. And uh, you know, people jump in ahead of me because they want it more than me, I guess. And what I told you, what struck me was if you're there 38 years and you're waiting on somebody else, just scoot an inch a day. Scoot. I mean, you can scoot, get, pay a brother to scoot you. 
38 years and you can't scoot to the edge so when the water is stirred, you can just kind of fall in? What's my point? No wonder Jesus said, do you want a better life? And the takeaway for both of these miracles is the fact God will not impose his will on you. He will not force his way into your life. Some of you have experienced God getting close to you but not coming directly to you because you've never invited him. Listen, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Well, if God isn't willing, then why isn't everybody going to heaven? Because they are not willing. It's not he's not willing. You have to want it. If you will to know his will, you will know his will. <laughs> I'm just saying you got to want this. And so they're coming. Jesus is acting like he's going to go by. And they say, oh, man, it's Jesus. Come on board. And the Bible says, don't miss this. Immediately, when Jesus stepped on the boat, they're at the shore. Now, there's another miracle that you might miss. You talk about putting that thing in turbo. I mean, they covered three miles, four miles to the shore in an instant. Jesus covered from the mountaintop to the boat in an instant, and the boat, when he was on it, got to the shore in an instant. What's the takeaway? Takeaway is when God gets ready to bless you, when God gets ready to change you, it doesn't take him a long time. He can do it in an instant. And these guys were learning something about God's strategy. They were learning something about what he was doing that they would have never learned had they not gone through the storm. They figured out and they were connecting the dots that God has a strategy. I read where a lady approached this great evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, on one occasion, and she said to Dwight L. Moody, I found a great verse that's helped me deal with fear. He said, well, share it with me. She said, it's Psalm 56, verse 3. Whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in the Lord. She said, that's given me so much comfort because now I know when I'm afraid, I'll trust in the Lord. He said, hey, let me give you one better. Isaiah 12, verse 2, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. He says, why wait till you're afraid to trust when you can trust and not be afraid? Do you see the difference? What happened to the disciples? They were afraid, then they trusted. When if they had trusted, they wouldn't have been afraid. What do you trust? God's word. What was God's word? His word was not, boys, get in the boat. When you get to the middle of the boat, you're going to drown. Don't worry about it, you're gonna go straight to heaven. That's not what he said. He said, you're going across to Capernaum. You're going to the other, you're gonna to get to the other side. What was the will of God? Get those guys across the lake. If they had trusted his word, they would not have been afraid. Now, I'm not saying that the storm wouldn't have challenged them, and I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying, think about it. If they would have, if just one of them on the boat would have said, hey, whoa, 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 Jesus said we're going, to, he can't lie. He said, I'm going to get you to the other side. Let's trust what he said. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, we may get to the other side in the middle of a storm. It just may, you know, we may lose the boat before we get there, but he said, we're going to get there. Let's trust his word and not be afraid. You see, there's an idea that comes through the work of God in our life, and particularly in storms, there's this thing called perseverance or endurance that only comes about through hardship. Tribulation brings about patience, right? So there's something that you get when you go through a storm you won't get at any other point in time. Endurance is an interesting word. It, it has the idea of being able to handle pressure, weight, to be able to endure, to be able to carry it. 
You see, sometimes when you pray, God lifts the burden off of you, and sometimes when you pray, he gives you strength to carry the burden. And I believe sometimes he gives his heaviest burdens to his strongest kids. So I'm just suggesting to you, man, we're going to a place called heaven, but till we get there, we're on a voyage, and on this voyage, we're going to encounter storms because God is testing us to strengthen our faith, which is my last thought. You see something that I call the strength. What did Jesus bring on board that boat? He brought his peace. He brought his strength. A God that's powerful enough to walk on water, <laughs> there's nothing he can't do. A God that's powerful enough to cause the storms to cease and the ship to beat ashore in an instant, there's nothing he can't do. He brought him peace. Another word, he brought him comfort. Comfort's an interesting word. If you break it apart, the word, the idea of come, come is to be with, come, with. Fort comes from the Latin fortis, which means strength. So to comfort is to come with strength. So when you comfort someone or you're comforted, someone's coming to you or you're providing a strength that that person doesn't have. They're bringing something to you that you don't have. And when God comforts you, he's bringing his strength. And here on that boat that night, they learned, we can't do this without him. We can't do this work that he's called us to do without his power. We can't do this without his presence. We have to depend on him. There's an interdependence that happens in a relationship you have with Jesus where he could, but he won't. And we can't, but we can if we will. And if we connect those things and we connect his will and his power for our life, there's nothing. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see the partnership? So these guys were being strengthened. They were being prepared to do life at the next level. Let me just close this by saying, I don't know what storm you may be in today. Chances are you're probably in some sort of storm. Some of you, it might be relational, and some of it might be financial. Some of it might be physical. What I've learned in my life, and I know you probably have learned this in your life, storms can happen suddenly. And sometimes they can be severe. And so when you hit a storm in your life, you, you start evaluating and you start seeing what's the origin of the storm. And when you start ruling certain things out, you start checking things off the list and you come back, as I've come back to know, that sometimes God will sovereignly put you in a storm. I sailed into a storm a few years ago. It intensified in 2019, unlike anything I've ever been through in my life. And I can tell you what I've discovered in the storm, and I'm not out of it yet. But I've discovered the presence of God in a way I hadn't seen before, his peace, his comfort. I know his goal is to get me to, across the lake, and I trust him to get me there. So I don't worry about that. I'm just suggesting to your heart that in every life when the storms come, God has a purpose. I've told you, if you're going to fall anywhere, fall at his feet. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be the one who will come into your life if everyone walks out of your life. He has a purpose. He has a plan. You matter. So let me ask you this morning, as you sail through the storms of life, are you partnering with him? Have you invited him on the boat? <laughs> Do you have his peace? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. As Isaiah said, never, it never returns void. Your word always hits the mark. I pray that your Holy Spirit will take this word and apply it to our heart in the way you would have us to hear it. I pray for my friends who are in storms, many different kinds of storms. I pray they'll invite you on the boat. I pray that they'll trust you and not be afraid. For that one who may never have placed their faith in you, may this be that moment when they swallow their pride and humble their heart. And right where they are, may they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin and be a reality in me. And that's the prayer that I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.